0: Interruptions look like me getting ahead of them and saying, oh, this is where they're going. And I go there first, and it breaks their rhythm. It breaks the the harmony. Interruptions look like me arriving at at an assessment. It's really easy to do that, right? And I just sort of have to let that come up, and it can be part of what leads me to the next place. But if I attach myself to it, I've already interrupted the flow.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Chinese medicine is personalized medicine, and this is one of its greatest strengths, that we see each person as a unique individual and treat accordingly. I've always found it a bit funny that our hyper-individualized Western culture has created a medicine that is one size fits all, while the more collectively oriented Chinese culture has created a medicine that's based on the individual. Perhaps this is just another expression of yin yang to remind us that opposites are also complementary and beyond the apparent polarities, there's a vibrant complex unity. But beyond our medicine being personalized for the patient, it's also personal for the practitioner. The basic principles of all methods of Chinese medicine and acupuncture are rooted in fundamentals that we all share. And these fundamental roots give rise to the stunning variety of approaches that help us to help our patients. Chinese medicine isn't just personalized for the patient. We, as practitioners, can bring our own unique constellation of interest perspective, inquiry, and quirk to this endeavor. Chinese medicine doesn't ask us to be different from who we are or our inquiries of how we want to be in the world. We get to bring our own unique wobble to the rodeo and through practice, discover who we are, what unique talents, quirks, and questions are ours to discover and use within the framework of the five phases, Climactic chi, dances of excess and deficiency that all arise from the great tidal flows of yin and yang. Our medicine has room for our unique personage. It's spacious enough to allow us to explore the edges of possibility that's ours to glimpse. Not only don't we need to conform to some outside standard, but knowing more of who we are and how we work makes us more uniquely Effective practitioners. The practice of Chinese medicine not only allows us to use the time proven perspectives that have wound their way down to us, it also invokes the unique responsibility we are each called on to add our own perspective. It's not just a flame that has come down over time, it's a responsibility to take what we've been given, add our own authentic voice perspective, and method, it's not enough that we take what's been given. It's a part of the responsibility to add our own unique expression, the one that only you can add and release it into the stream of time. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AcuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment And the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool... By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how.
2: Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumpsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and proper herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face, so subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
1: And be sure to mention the code GEOLOGICAL at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I grew up as a third generation of immigrant ancestors. Our family had enough stability in the 60s and 70s to allow for, well, demand really, that us kids not do the work of our parents or grandparents, but ratchet up to something like a doctor or a lawyer. I never wanted anything to do with medicine, right up until I started to get curious about acupuncture and how it seemed to have the capacity to pivot me into a whole other aspect of being with just a few needles. Acupuncture changed how I thought about medicine. It still does, all the time. I used to think that medicine was something that was done to us or we did it to other people. It's inherent in the tacit agreement between patients and doctors that doctors are going to, air quotes here, do something to fix the patient. In this conversation that is a part of the series on body work and East Asian medicine, we explore the medicine not of doing, but of being with. Karen Alyssa is a practitioner here in St. Louis. We enjoy occasional walks through the botanical garden here and noodle on our practices, what we're discovering, puzzled by, and curious about. While us acupuncturists like to remind our patients that acupuncture is a part of East Asian medicine, not the entirety, still, for the most part, our work comes down to using needles. Karin is a hands-on practitioner, deeply steeped in the principles of our medicine, and has another perspective— that fits East Asian medicine hand in glove. And yet, well, let's listen in and find out. Colonel Lisa, welcome to Geological.
0: Thank you, Michael.
1: I am delighted to have you here. You are a very hands-on practitioner. Very much so, yeah. In St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. So we're neighbors. Yes. And uh, we hang out from time to time. We go on walks through the incredible Botanical Garden here in St. Louis. All y'alls, if you ever get a chance to come to St. Louis, uh, Missouri Botanical Garden is exquisite. Uh, Karin and I have been walking through the gardens and having conversations about medicine and things for years now. So I'm, I'm so happy to have you here on Geological, and we're going to take a walk through our metaphorical garden.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. So you're not an acupuncturist. You are very much an East Asian medicine. I'm not even sure what to call you. I know that you, that you work incredibly deeply with your hands. I guess we could call you a body worker. You're here in this body work uh, series that we're doing. We talk a lot about channels and we talk a lot about Chinese medicine. You do this other thing, orthobionomy. Yes. Which, in my experience, is a lot like the very soft yin types of bodywork that show up in Chinese medicine. I'd like to get your take on it. Yeah, I've been
0: working on my take on it since 1994. Um, <laughs> So um, what you could call me um, is an Asian bodywork therapist, mm. or at least that's what the American Organization for Bodywork Therapies of Asia established as our title in the United States, um, a shiatsu therapist. Um, that's how I started. And then I, um, in the middle of what I thought was a nice clean trajectory, I, um, I encountered orthobionomy in the person of my teacher and mentor, Terry Lee. And it's it changed. It didn't really change the trajectory. I'm still an Asian bodywork therapist, mm-hmm. but it interwove. In that then I used I used to say it was like kudzu. You know what kudzu? Oh is yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, wonderful, powerful plant.
1: Wonderful, powerful, viney, and yeah, intertwines with anything it comes in contact with
0: and transforms it.
1: And transforms it. Wow. Okay. There's the essence of our work in a way, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is the essence of, of a lot of our work. And um, and when I encountered orthobionomy, it simply shifted the way I approached my shiatsu. And it sent me looking for teachers in shiatsu that resonated with what had called to me in orthobionomy. So it it's really plotted my course to a large degree. What I was drawn to um, in orthobionomy, yes, I've seen a lot of similarity to, say, for instance, Sotai. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, when I discovered Alice Wealdon and Seiki, um, I was like, aha, there, that's another piece. And I sometimes tease my orthobionomy colleagues that um, they're actually practicing Asian bodywork, they just don't know it. Um, Because part of Arthur Lincoln Paul's influence, Arthur Lincoln Paul's being the osteopath who developed orthobionomy, a huge part of his influence was that he was a judo practitioner. So he comes to, you know, fairly high level judo practitioner and all those concepts. I mean, there's so much interplay between the martial arts and and bodywork anyway, to begin with. So all those concepts, you know, he brought to osteopathy.
1: Mm-hmm. And to the orthobiomy.
0: And, and to orthobiomy, yeah.
1: What are some of the core concepts? Because I suspect it's going to rhyme with a, a lot of what our listeners are already playing with. But, but I'd like to know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I often counter this because, you know, I'll articulate some of the concepts and people will say, well, yeah, you know, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that makes sense to me already. And I'll say, yes, and... You know, mm. there, there, there's a, another level to it that I, in spite of the fact that I've been very interested in osteopathic principles as well, and, and um, consequently have studied um, with Burrell Institute, and I've also studied um, with the Applegger Institute, just because this fascinates me, this approach. But there's like an extra piece to this. And it's almost like, yes, I know that looks obvious, but there's a deeper level to this that i think is pretty unique to orthobionomy i don't know if you would get it if you took you know a weekend class in orthobionomy i think you have to sit with the practice for a bit longer mm-hmm. to pick that up
1: as with so many practices
0: yes absolutely and and of course very often when you sit with a practice long enough other practices, you begin you begin to see the um, the resonant line between between them. So, it, yeah, it's it's it, it. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. So, you know, to get back to your question, principles, because orthobionomy is a principle based practice. Terry Lee uh, likes to say that if you understand the principles, and you're applying the principles, the technique follows. So you can learn some of the techniques, but it's really the principles that guide it. And if the technique, you can't figure out how to apply the technique and also apply the principles, the principles take precedence. The most important principle, no, I can't even really say that. All of them are important, but the most important principle to me very often is nonjudgmental presence. And that, again, sounds pretty simple on the surface, but it's very, very difficult, and um, it's one of the things that I'll be practicing for the rest of my life. Non-judgmental presence, less is more. And I'm going to blank on this, of course. You exaggerate the pattern that you find, but only slightly. It's more like a reflecting back of what you're hearing in the body, just loud enough that if the body has learned to ignore its pattern it recognizes it again Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. so rather than listing off the principles i think um we could probably discuss those few and it might lead to more if you like
1: absolutely there's a lot here yeah uh in my mind i first want to talk about this non-judgmental say that again non-judgmental presence non-judgmental presence we're gonna get in I just want to stick a pin in it for now. Sure because what w- w- the last thing that I heard was you take the you take a movement, you exaggerate it just a little just enough so that the body hears itself. Yes and I think about how often we do this with words. it's I, I I'm fascinated by language. I wish I could use my hands better. I, I tend to use language more than my hands, and and I think that's why one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated with the, with the hands-on medicines because it's it's an area that I feel like needs development for me, and so my attention gets drawn there a lot. But coming back to language, there are ways of using language with just a, a little, like a little nudge of language, you bring up what's present for somebody that they're not hearing. I think one of the, the best ways that I've heard it described uh, was in the book and also the audiobook, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, FBI hostage negotiator. It's like New York guy who's like a pussycat when he talks to people. And, and when he's talking to you know really bad, bad guys, he's looking to be as empathetic as possible. So he's looking to get, he's looking to reach and touch at the empathetic level with people and he'll speak very softly to the thing that's present but not spoken. And it connects him to like bank robbers and hostage takers in ways that magic things evolve. It's a beautiful way to use language. Often in clinic, somebody will say something and I'll just, uh, I'll feel something of a resonance in me with the last words that they said. It's like, oh, I heard that, but I don't think they did. It, it's that moment. It's not take any last words somebody said. It's the last words that I go, oh, but they fail to notice, and I just and I just speak them back as a question.
0: Yeah, I I find the work that um, Nick Pohl is doing with clean mm. language also to be um, really fascinating mm-hmm. because it has that that nature to it. I would go so far as to take the judgment out of even that
1: so yeah talk to me more about that i watch my mind judge and discern all the time
3: mm-hmm.
1: i would like to hear your sense of the difference between judgment and discernment and, and also how we take the judgment out and then what's left
0: yeah this is when we're using language it um, <laughs> it gets difficult doesn't uh-huh. it because judgment and discernment so to get what, to what I was saying, the judgment in that I heard that, but they didn't, mm. I would even leave that latter part out. Um, and why is that important? There's a, there's a poem by D.H. Lawrence, Not I, Not I, But the Wind That Blows Through Me. Mm-hmm. A fine, fine wind is blowing through time. And it's one of my favorite poems. And one of the things he said, um, and I'm going to to misquote, but I would blur no expression. To the degree that I insert myself, I mean, obviously I'm here as a witness, but to the degree as I insert myself and my judgment, spoil no expression, I actually blur what I'm trying to hear Mm -hmm. from the person. It doesn't really matter whether they noticed it or not. What matters is that I'm here with them now noticing. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, and.
0: Okay. okay.
1: And I can see how Nick's work would would draw you because that is such a, a meditation and process of not me, not my bright idea, not my judgment, not my perception. But more, what is it for this person? And what else is there? And that, and yes, that, and what else? And yes, that, and what else is there? And, and so we're getting it. Yes, language is tricky,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's what we have to work with here. So, you know, we'll, we'll play with it. And language is playful. Yes. So we have that going for us.
0: So discernment.
1: Discernment and. Yeah, let's do discernment, and then then we'll come back to my question.
0: Yeah, because discernment is what I'm using when I'm sitting with the client, and I discern a pattern to which I respond. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's always possible I'm wrong. So that's also important. Um, you have to be really, really comfortable with being wrong.
1: We actually get lots of practice.
0: Yes, we do. Absolutely. But there's a constant checking in with the client. It's not necessarily verbal. It's a call and response. This work is a call and response, and I had a client actually say this to me the other day. She said, you know, it's it's like you're calling to these different parts of my body and they're waking up and saying, "Yes, I'm here." And she said it's also like taking a walk through the Grand Canyon only it's my body and I am the terrain and I'm exploring it that's a good session that's a good session and if I if I'm not careful to blur no whisper or spoil no expression they don't get that I have to walk so so lightly Mm -hmm. so that the experience is theirs
3: Mm yes
1: yes So often, I think for acupuncturists in particular, again, one of the reasons I love talking to people that work with their hands, there's a a sensitivity that I think many of us acupuncturists don't have because we're there by gum to do something. We have some pretty powerful tools to do it with as well. Yes. And, And we have this idea that we're the one who's doing something. Yes. And can you help people that way? Yes, you can. Can you also miss things that might be helpful or overlook the quiet aspects that are just waiting to be noticed? We can we can run roughshod right over.
0: Yeah, you can accidentally end up being a bull in the china shop.
1: We can be a bull in a china shop.
0: Absolutely. So my initial training, um, I'm, a, I'm a practitioner of integrative eclectic shiatsu. And um, so my first teacher was certified in integrative eclectic, which incorporates number of. I mean, we're taught to do moxibustion. We're taught to use magnets. We're taught to do auricular therapy. We're we're taught to do cupping, and um, dietary therapy. Those kinds of things that go with it, in addition to incorporating some um, Western medical massage, neuromuscular therapy, and things like that. So, I was well equipped to decide. Also, m- my first teacher at the school was um a five element practitioner studied under uh, Cindy Banker at the uh, New England um, Shiatsu Center. And so, you know, I got Worsley, which completely messed me up on my point counts forever. <laughs> so, um, it will always be bladder fifty four to me. And you know, so we 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 you know we learned to do a thorough assessment. And, you know, figure out what's in balance and what's out of balance and put together a treatment and then go in there, right? I wasn't comfortable with Mm. some of what I experienced because, you know, as part of learning, I'm I'm sure that this is normal, but I'm more than a little bit. If I want to study something, I want to receive the work and I want to receive it a lot Mm -hmm. because I really want to feel what it feels like. So I was getting regular work. And feeling what it felt like in my body, and sometimes it just felt like a real imposition. That's not to say good things didn't happen. I did. I mean, I, I have a huge respect for, for that body of work. But for me, and it's often true, you know, that how we prefer work yes. influences how yes. we go on to
3: practice. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. It's at com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, we talk about Chinese medicine, East Asian medicine as being a personalized medicine, thinking, meaning we personalize it to the patient. Yes, the other side of that is it's an opportunity for us to practice the kind of medicine that's ours to practice. It's personalized to the practitioner as well
0: absolutely yeah. absolutely. Um I found that I was having yeah, I just wanted to to be gentler and and gentler not even in in the the way that I contacted a point but gentler in the way that I engaged the client. And then I met Terry Lee. Mm. And you know, what got me, actually, I, I got my arm twisted to go. I figured shiatsu was it, and traditional Asian medicine, and that was that was going to be me for the rest of my life. But somebody kept bugging me, and so I actually just kind of stuck my head in. It, the, the, the demonstration was in a room like we're in right now, and I basically just kind of stuck my head in the door so I could tell this person who had been bugging the heck out of me that I had gone. And I see this woman practicing, and um, the first thing she said that really got me to put my foot past the threshold was, you know, this is how you release the iliopsoas without touching the iliopsoas. Because the number one thing that I hated to have released was an Ilios. I I hated having Ilius OS releases. I always felt like I had to recover a couple of days afterwards. Not just for the physical um, ramifications, but also the emotional. She had me at that point, Mm -hmm. but I was still a little skeptical. I walked into the room. She invited someone else to get up on the table, and I thought that was the best way for me to find out. I... uh, climbed on the table, and um, I had a long-standing kink in the neck that, you know, would go and then come back again, go and come back again. It was pretty stubborn. And so I asked her to work on that. She just started waving my arm around in the air. I was like, what is this woman doing? (laughs) (laughs) And she keeps talking while she's doing it. I was like, she's not even paying attention. What is this person doing? She's waving my arm in the air, and she's not even paying attention. And all of that I got off the table. There was no, no pain, no residue whatsoever. I didn't, I, I was like, okay, I have to see what you're doing. And I started studying with her. Another thing that I had found very difficult as I progressed in my studies was this um, idea that the practitioner would tell you what you are, what your imbalance is. And or, you know, just be standing there and saying, well, I get that this and this and this is happening. One of the things that Terry said to me was actually to the class. She said, uh, just because you hear it doesn't mean you say it. Just because you hear it doesn't mean you say it. And the other thing she said that I just loved and that was she, she had me after that was, um, you don't go dinking in the grand woo-woo.
1: You don't go dinking in the grand woo-woo. You
0: don't go dinking in the grand woo-woo. Just because you can perceive it, and as we practice, we get very good at perceiving things, doesn't give you the right to go mess with it. Just because you perceive it doesn't give you the right to blurt it out and you know lay that pattern on top of whatever other pattern that person is working with.
1: So one of the wonderful things about doing this series on body work, I've heard more than one person now say, don't lay your concept on your patient. Yes,
0: absolutely. It's almost like surgery. And mind you, there are times when surgery is necessary. But why do surgery when an herb will work? Why? It makes no sense. Why do you want to go in with a scalpel when, you know, you could simply sit there with a person and they would come to their own conclusion?
1: I love that. Allowing a person to come to their own conclusion. So, as I've studied some of the quieter body works, because again, my hands are not that lingua, they're not that lively not as lively as my mind. And it's an imbalance that I notice in my practice. And, and so I spend time on my imbalance, working on my hands. And so I've also studied some cranial. I've studied some other kinds of things. And you hear people tell these amazing stories about, oh uh, yeah, like at the age of three, they had this experience with their parent and they decided they were this kind of a person and you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you hear these stories of people having these perceptions, getting that, And then, okay, I'm going to do something with it. And they do something with it. And and there's a part of me that's like, ooh, man, I'd love to be that kind of magician. That'd be cool. However, when I have at times been quiet enough, discerning or whatever it is, it's it's, it's hard to put into language. I have at times had glimpses of people at earlier, very profoundly influential moments in their life. I am reticent to look at it too closely. I am reticent to speak it. It's that it's present, yes, it doesn't give me permission to take that and do something with it. In fact, as far as I can tell at this point, I don't have a ton of experience with it, but I've had enough experience with it to know, caution, don't look too closely. Use your peripheral vision. Attend, don't push.
0: Yes, and that is the point where judgment is like too much weight on the hand. Mm -hmm. You're walking through people's gardens, and you want to walk gently. You don't want to bruise the leaves as you go through.
1: Walking through people's gardens. Yeah. Yeah. I just have a shiver that goes all the way through my spine. One of the things I love about practicing medicine is taking something like walking through people's gardens, just taking that into clinic with me and seeing what shows up.
0: So, you know, there are times when I might invite someone to, um, to use a more forceful Form of body work, or even, you know, there there is acupuncture, and then there's acupuncture, and there are sessions where it almost feels like orthobionomy in that you know, just the right nudge has been here, and just the right nudge has been there, and mm. and then I unwind. And sometimes it feels like, um, well, this person just came in and kind of rearranged the furniture for me. There have been times when I really needed the furniture rearranged. I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. But I am more comfortable with that walking lightly and allowing the person to come to their own awareness. And I don't even decide what they need to become aware of. That's important. Another thing that Terry often says, you know, if somebody comes in with a physical deformity, say, for instance, they have scoliosis. And by the way, I've seen some pretty amazing results with orthobionomy principles applied to scoliosis. But we never make the assumption that that's what's going to happen, um, nor do we promise that that's what's going to happen. That's important as well, because that's it gets back into judgment. Um,
1: yes, and we never know what's going to happen. Yes. Nor do we even know what the patient actually needs.
0: Right, but they do. On yeah. some level, they do. Agreed. Um, but she said, "My job is is not to to make that scoliosis go away." My job is to make them more comfortable, and in the process, or help them be more comfortable. Let's take make even out of that. Um, in the process of them becoming more comfortable, it's possible that scoliosis will shift, but that's not what I'm there for. That's uh, as we used to say, or we still say in New Orleans lanyap. It's lanyap, little something extra. Yeah, the shift is a little something extra. Like what we are doing is helping people find comfort in their own bodies and that's huge it's really huge because at least judging by what i see when i walk out the door most people aren't comfortable in their own bodies it's a terrible breakdown in communication in my opinion
1: and reinforced at so many different levels from advertising to family stories to i mean just so many ways
0: yes yeah, we do disconnection really well.
1: We do disconnection pretty well. Yeah. I'm thinking about, I was just talking about uh, those rare occasions where sometimes I'll, I'll get a glimpse of something. And uh, I don't want to muck with that. It's been curious to me how the, the quiet observation on my part, respectful as possible, not asking anything mm-hmm. else to happen. Sometimes people will go into the story uh, just spontaneously. I am not asking or inviting anything. I'm simply present with something that seems to be present. And they'll go into some story about it and and move through it. So not always. Sometimes they just stay in it and they're just like stuck. But sometimes they'll move through it or... Or they'll speak it harshly and then their voice gets softer. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen in that moment. And it is, it's not even a light touch. It's something else. I don't even know how to put words to that.
0: Yeah, it is hard to put words to that. Which brings up, uh, when you were talking, I was thinking of, you know, another principle, which is non-attachment to results. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really upfront with my clients about these principles, by the way. You know, we, I'm not attached to results. You know, when you come in, we're just going to work and we're going to see what happens. And the worst thing will happen is that nothing will happen.
1: You don't worry about making things worse, having things get worse?
0: Because I'm not forcing anything.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. If we force things, we there's more chance to, uh, to, to run in a mock. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. That's a really brave thing to do Karen to because usually the tacit agreement in our society is people come in for us to fix something we're going to do something they're going to get something
0: people come in for me not to fix them yeah
1: people come in for you not to fix them
0: and I mean and I'm like I said I'm if 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 they're if they're coming in and they think they're there for me to fix them right up front you know I, I I make that clear I am there to support them, to witness, to reflect. I'm not even sure I like the word "fix." Uh, Yeah, yeah, because because fix imply you you talk about something being fixed in space, and we're not like that. We're not fixed at any moment in our lives. We're constantly expanding and contracting. And at the point that we become fixed. That's actually when we have a
2: problem
1: okay so this is where language gets to be really fun yes people come into it it's like I want to get fixed yes well actually our job is to unfix people we're there to unstick them unfix them yeah help them expand breathe more deeply yeah be more congruent be more fluid we are actually unfixing people
0: yeah yes except that I'm just waiting to see what they decide <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah orthobionomy is um if you are applying the principles and and it's really easy to get sidetracked from those principles there are all kinds of as you mentioned societal forces um, encouraging including market forces encouraging us to veer off that path but to the degree that i keep those principles in my clinic really interesting things happen Mm. really interesting things happen and you know, they're more than I could ever plan for.
1: I think a lot of us have this idea, I know I'm one of them, that the wisdom that the patient needs is within them. The healing that they need is within them. And at a certain level, I believe it. And at a certain level, I don't. Constantly second-guessing that. It's like, there's a part of me that's like, yes, that's true. And at the same time, to really get at that, I have to take myself out of what's going on there more and more and more and more. Not that I'm not paying attention, not that I'm not attending. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is taking that part of me that likes to pat myself on the back and say, good job, Mr. Max, well done. I don't really get to do that with this kind of work other than really maybe just a quiet moment of recognition that I managed to keep myself out of that laying a concept on my patient.
0: Yes. Yes, that's true. But there's a kind of, how shall I say this? There's a kind of contraction in that Mind you, I, I really like patting myself on the back as much as the next person. <laughs> Absolutely, but there is a contraction in that. It's almost like um, when I talk to people about Tai Chi, um, you know, I say, you know, you don't want to contract the joint. Qi can't flow. Mm-hmm. There is this contraction about that I that keeps the qi from flowing. Um, so what you get in exchange, in my experience, or at least what I get in exchange is just the, the same experience you get when you sit on the side of a creek and watch the water go by. You know how incredibly calming and relaxing and joy-creating that is when I succeed in practicing this way? That's how I feel at the end of the day. I don't even want to get in the way of that. It's, it's more rewarding. It really is in the long run. Trusting the process, that's another thing. The more that I interfere, we're getting into kind of a paradox here because I actually had this conversation with uh, Grandmother Winter Jade. It's possible that this work works so well for me in part because I'm a very... uh, I'm trying to come up with the right word for this. I'm a very forceful person by nature. I tend to occupy my space. I always did. My kindergarten teacher was always calling me down for this. I wasn't a bully, but I was so sure of myself um, that I just kind of, you know, I ended up kind of overwhelming the other kids sometimes. And it might be that because I already have that in my personality, when I back off, I'm still present enough some people, if they backed off, might not be present enough
1: again this is and this is something I work with, yeah backing off is not the same as not being attentive. Backing off is not the same thing as not being present. You can back off and think about what you're having for dinner, and yeah, there's plenty of room because you're not even there, yeah. I think what we're talking about here is is a a kind of cultivation that comes with time and attention and practice of being present completely unattached to results, full of curiosity at what is happening now. Not even what's gonna happen next, what's happening now.
0: Yes, and yet you are entirely present. Your presence is required.
1: In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Presence is required. I want to come back to this word, this idea of fixing. Yeah. I'm so intrigued by it because I've got a whole new view of it now from having had this much of conversation with you. I do look at my practice, especially over the years, I think about how I've been with patients. Yeah, people often want to have something nailed down. They want it fixed. They want it nailed down. They want it taken care of. I feel as a practitioner, it's my job to deliver that. I am very much in awe and curious to see what would happen if I adopted more of an attitude and a perspective like yours, speaking it out at the beginning of the relationship with the patient that we're not here to fix anything. Holy smokes. Would I have a business? Curious.
0: It would be a different business.
1: It would be a different business. Yeah. 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 And that, I would be a lot less tired at the end of the day, you know and I've mentioned this before in the podcast, back when COVID first struck, March 2020, like everybody, I closed my practice down. And after about two weeks of not working, I had this incredible whole body, whole spirit sense of being unburdened. And it was so curious to me because I love my work and I feel like it's a great privilege to get to do the work that I do. And I didn't realize that I was carrying burden at such a a, a significant level. And that's been, it's been helpful to recognize that. I think it was a shadow aspect of practice for me that didn't have a voice at my table. It has a voice at my table now. And it does have me doing things like not overworking myself, It has me saying no to patients that say, can I come in at six o'clock? It's like, no, I got dinner with my family. And so I've learned to shift in ways that I feel less burdened. But when I'm honest with myself in this moment here with you, yeah, there's still some burden that goes with it. And I'm wondering how much of that burden comes from feeling like I'm supposed to do something that makes my patients happy in the way that they think they're going to get happy?
0: That's a good question to ask. I, I still feel that I have to do something mm-hmm. um, when, when my clients come in. And I am tired at the end of the day. Um, mostly tired in the way that you might be if you had spent your time um, riding one of those mechanical bulls at the rodeo. Because so much of my job is following and following without interrupting and supporting. I really have to be on my game.
1: Following without interrupting.
0: hmm yeah.
1: Okay, that gets my attention. Okay. Following without interrupting. What kind of things can interrupt? What do interruptions look like, or feel like, or show up as?
0: Interruptions look like me getting ahead of them and saying, oh, this is where they're going. And I go there first, and it breaks their rhythm. It breaks the the harmony. Um, interruptions look like um, me arriving at a at an assessment. It's really easy to do that, right? I mean, because you know I'm I'm working with with the channels and I'm working with the points, and I'm i like, oh well, this is the, this and this, and I, I just sort of have to let that come up, and it can be part of what leads me to the next place but if I attach myself to it I've already interrupted the flow does that answer your question
1: it well I think what answers my question is spending more time in clinic with these perspectives and and, and practicing like this I think that's what answers my question the guidelines that you just gave me make a lot of sense I I I love how my mind works. And I like having a, a somewhat limber mind that knows stuff. It's very satisfying, yeah. right? It's super satisfying. And I don't want to get rid of that.
0: And you don't have to.
1: Exactly. So being able to follow where a patient is. You listen to the channel, something comes up. Oh yeah, I think I know something about that. You Put your hands on on a certain point. I know some, oh, that point feels like that. I know something about that. Let's get to work. To be able to put my hands on someone, feel the point, watch all the things that I know about that, hold it loosely.
0: Exactly. So the information that I have, you know, all the studying that I do because I enjoy reading, um, it's good to have that there because it informs your understanding of the terrain. So I know that when I am being pulled to a certain area that I, that happens to be following the line of this channel of this flow, that I know that this point that's lighting up, um, you know, might be helped if I kind of slide around here Mm -hmm. and hold this, but it always has to be a question that I'm continually asking.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. So often I will put my hands on people, I will feel something, and I'll go, oh, that's the answer. No, 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 no. Oh, that's the question. Yes. Turn the answers into questions. I love having answers, and I imagine my patients want me to have answers, and I like having answers. What if I take my answers and allow them to arise as questions? Hmm.
0: Yes and that goes back to the call and response mm-hmm. that's so much um it constantly underlies the work this constant call and response that's always what it is it's it's is this this for you and then you wait for the response is this this for you and then you wait for the response
1: and when you get the response
0: mm-hmm.
1: how do you know you're getting a response what is what is it that you're noticing or what What's arising? Or is, is this too nailed down of a question?
3: Don't
0: think so. It's it's movement. It's all movement.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, generally. Um, I'm sure you found this yourself when someone comes in and they have um, discomfort, or they have something that isn't working for them the way they would like it to. Generally, things aren't really moving around that area.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's almost uh, like. Well, I've described it as echolocation. Um, so I send out this little, you know, it's like <laughs> in space, you know, I send out this little ping and I wait to see what pings back and how it pings back. Mm-hmm. Because that gives me an idea of what and where I need to follow.
1: I love that term echolocation. And I feel like I use that a lot in my work. Mm-hmm. The difference between how we might be working, at least at this moment is I'm sending out an echolocation ping that says, is this the answer? Mm-hmm. I'm not sending out an echolocation that's more of a question.
0: Well, and also, um, yeah, I really got this from, from the brief times I was able to study with Pauline Sasaki, is that in the period of time that it takes you to ask, ask the question, the answer changes. Mm. Um, things change so quickly when, um, when you're working with the chi, that it's best, you know, by the time you've hold, held on to that answer, it's gone on to being something else. So in her way of practicing, and it made sense to me. So I'd come back to saying, is this, is this the way it is for you? And I mean, is this the way it is for you right in this moment, right now? And then I'm asking about the next moment. And the next moment. Because it shifts
1: that fast, I have, I have been reinvestigating the tation needle recently. Um, I, I've listened to how other people talk about it, and and I've got my own again investigating it in clinic for myself. I've got this idea that oh, this is going to take a while to get these tissues to move, but I've also heard people say no, you it, it can go very quickly, and I have I have had moments where. I feel something flutter under my fingers. I'm like, wait a minute, was that it? Doubting, questioning, you know, rather than, oh, there, there was a flutter in this moment. Yes, there was a flutter. What about now? Oh, actually, let go of that point now.
0: There was something that uh, Pauline used to say that I, uh, I just tickled me. You know, why are you still on the point? The energy is coming on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it can go that fast. That's helpful to remember.
0: Yeah, the answers change so so quickly, and that's another reason not to. Um, I, that might be part of what's behind that. I enjoy these discussions we have because I get awarenesses that I didn't have before. <laughs> because judgment freezes it in space yeah. and time too much. Oh. Too much. You you can't follow it anymore when you've when you've gotten that. Aha! Uh-huh, this is what it is. If you just keep saying "Is this? Is this?" then you don't get you don't get frozen.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I've noticed. So I'm I'm going to take and, and push this like way to the other side sure. for a moment. Sure. Sure. I, I think it's germane. It's something that I've noticed over the years that people come in to see me or you all y'all's listening right now, right? People come in, they go, nobody, I don't have a diagnosis. Nobody knows what's wrong with me. And so often these people are so thirsty for a diagnosis. They just want to know what it is. I've had patients say to me, I don't care if it's cancer. I just want to know what it is. And that just seems so, extraordinarily strange to me. I don't care if it's cancer, I just wanna know what it is. And, and what I recognize, and I see this in my own mind. I think we're back to fixedness. There, there's this part of the mind, it just wants to know because if it knows what it is, well then maybe you can do something about it, but that is so often not the case.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm a big reader of fantasy and science fiction, and I don't know if you're familiar with um, Ursula K. Le Guin's work. Um, okay, so you know the the farthest shore. It's
1: been a long time since I read her work. I was in my early twenties, and I think I read all of it.
0: Yeah, so you'll remember though, without the name um, Ged or Jed, however you pronounce yeah, his name. that yeah, yeah. The the idea was that you had to learn the name of. That's the thing. right. And I think that's what they're looking for—is the name of the thing,
1: because then you have magical power over, you it. Power over it. You have power over it. Then you have the power over it. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah,
0: yeah. And I—I I think the answer to that, at least for me, that sense of wanting to be seen, the—the the sense of wanting to have a name, um, so so that you can make some sense and have some power. It's Pauline. Sasaki's concept of anti- anti-pathogenic chi. What Pauline Sasaki was looking for when she scanned the Hara was what was right about the person. Mm-hmm. What was right. So where is the strength? And I can give that to people. and um, And I like the direction that takes them if they're asking. Because it's really a sense of when you become ill, it's almost like you begin to lose faith in your ability to occupy the the planet. You know, It's like, oh, this isn't working as well as I hoped it would. And um, it gives you a sense of uncertainty and like you're, not that uncertainty isn't just a fact of life, but um, it's like you're standing on shaky ground. And if you give someone a diagnosis of what's wrong with them, that locks them in. In a way mm-hmm. it, it empowers them in that way that they have a name, but it also locks them in to the, um, to the disharmony. If you can tell them what their strengths are, that kind of leads them out of, of that. It, 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 gives them, all, it's almost like the lighthouse. Yeah. It's like a lighthouse.
1: It's like a lighthouse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it calls them to their strength.
0: Exactly.
1: It calls them to their strength. That, I love that. Usually the diagnosis is about what's wrong with someone. How about, and I wanna be very playful with this. How about we diagnose what's right with people?
3: Yeah.
1: So um, I also have read, I think, everything written by Tom Robbins. And one of my favorite lines is something to the effect of, why bother calling in sick? Why not call in well? Sorry boss, can't make it today. I'm feeling good. Calling in well.
0: Yes. That that's wonderful because Vernon Smith, who was the um who was the owner of the school and one of my first teachers. That's what happened to him. He had a doctor's degree in I believe it was sociology and he was um I think he was teaching at LSU. He can get me if I've got the details wrong, but that's what he said he did one day. He just called in well. Called in well. He just called in well, and that's when he followed this path. <laughs> yeah. I think that's wonderful. Calling in well is awesome.
1: Calling in well. So we can help our patients to call in well.
0: Yeah. We can help them call in well.
1: Call in well. What about create, what about crafting a diagnosis that speaks to their strengths and their resources?
0: But even then, we want to hold that loosely.
1: Hold that loosely,
0: and we want to hold it loosely for so that they can hold it loosely. I, I think that's there's a fluidity to things that's mm. part of health. If you if you try to stick yourself in a certain place and time, you're already starting to create disharmony. If that makes
1: sense. Given that we are living in an ever-changing world. Yeah. Such a beautiful concept. It's so poetic. Oh, the Tao. Most of us are fighting tooth and nail against the Tao. Yeah. Because just going with the Tao, I mean, like what kind of eye is going to just go with the Tao? Yeah. So there's that too. Um, Yes, holding it loosely, seeing what is right. Again, I like to play with words. And... uh and especially after talking with Nick and reading his book and um, you know, attending some of the geological lives that he and Margot have done. I, I, I do this less and less. There's still a part of me that likes to feel like I'm being kinda clever and interested and, you know, come up with some cool stuff. But the coolest stuff is the stuff the patients come up with. If I can just be open enough to hear their brilliance, wow. Yeah, like don't use my solution, use yours, of course. One of the things I love about acupuncture, it call it invokes, it calls out something that's already there. It doesn't put anything in, but it, it can invite other things out. But when I'm being a bit more afferent here, when I'm being a bit more yang than yin, and listening to my patients, there there are times they'll say something and they're complaining about it. They'll say this is something wrong with me, or this needs to be fixed. And, and, and I'll listen a little deeper. I sometimes like we'll get a Columbo expression. Remember Columbo? Right? The absent-minded kind of you know, dopey detective that, oh, wait a minute, I got wait, but this doesn't make sense. What about this? Right. Sometimes they'll talk about something as being a, a real problem for them, but I hear it as their superpower. It's like, yeah, I get it that this is causing you trouble. But this sounds like a superpower that you have. Your ability to be meticulous, you know, it's driving everybody in your life crazy, including you, but it's also a superpower. If you need something planned, you're the guy to call. And I love saying that to people. I love reminding them that there is something about you. And yes, it also causes you trouble, but there's something incredible about it at the same time. And I'm not asking them to like, give up one to get the other, but to have both be more present.
0: That is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yes.
1: And we talk in, in our Chinese medicine, our East Asian medicine, about the zheng qi, you know, that which is upright and correct. It is a real thing.
0: Yes, and I think, you know, that um, the whole... When you're doing that, when you're when you're working with your patients that way, you are um, doing what in orthobionomy we would describe as exaggerating the pattern.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah. This brings this circles us back to earlier in the conversation about taking something and making it just a little bit bigger so it can be noticed. Yes. If the air is too still, you feel all the humidity. If you bring a slight breeze in, now it feels different.
0: Yeah. It's just the presence is important. The recognition is important. That That's what we bring is that recognition. And, and really, honestly, from the time that we're born, that's what we're all looking for. I mean, the, the infant, as soon as it can focus, is seeking eye contact. Mm. We want to be recognized. Sometimes we forget how to recognize ourselves, mm-hmm. and so you know that's where that's what I feel like people pay me for is 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 to truly recognize them. And to the degree that I do that, I've done a good day's work.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, that that'll give us a chance to sleep well at night. Having done a good day's work. Yeah. Well, my friend, this is probably a good place to put a pin in it. I know that there's plenty more. We uh, may circle back for another walkthrough like this at some point.
0: Yes, I'd love that, and maybe maybe one through the botanical gardens too.
1: Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, it would. All right, thanks so so much for your time. So often in my work practicing acupuncture, I think of myself as a guide, helping people to connect themselves up with innate, but unavailable, internal resources. I think about guides as knowing, and because they know, they're trustworthy to be followed. But after this conversation with Karin, all of that gets flipped around. As I consider my work is not to have answers but to have the capacity to follow patients to their own solution. Navigating the body is one thing. Navigating the body-mind going slow enough that people can, in moving with their own tempo, find their way out of previously helpful compensations and into a greater sense of ease and embodiment. As I think about it, that goes, well, rather counter to much of how I thought medicine worked. I'm especially appreciative of the perspective I now have about fixing. That in the past, I've conflated this with healing or recovery. But the very word itself, to fix, to set down, to nail down, to make firm, to reduce motion, that is actually counter to the flowing processes of nature. I'm curious to take this perspective of following rather than fixing into the clinic and see what happens. Well, I think this is a good place to put a pin in it for today. I hope that you've been enjoying this series on body work and East Asian medicine. As much as I enjoy using needles, it is reassuring to be reminded that it's our hands and our attention that are perhaps our greatest asset. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation,